Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network, our first week of streaming live on YouTube. I'm with my longtime guest, John Hollinger from The Athletic. John, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really cool to be doing this uh, now in video uh, as well as, you know, wherever you're listening to a podcast right now. Before we kick off the show, I want to remind you that this week is the week of the NBA draft. And that means that if you want to follow me along with Rafael Barlow, along with Locked On NBA host John Corrales live during the draft, we're going to be streaming through YouTube. It's Locked On NBA Draft 2021 brought to you by Built Bar. Get local expert analysis on each pick, followed by Locked On NBA YouTube today for our live coverage starting July 29th at 7 p.m. That's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of draft takes, going to bring in all of our local hosts and experts to get their reactions as well. I think it's going to be a really, really cool show if you want some alternative uh, to the other live uh, draft stuff that's out there. John, we've been talking about this draft all year, and now yeah. it's now yeah. it's crunch time. Uh, right. This is the week of the draft. And and maybe just take us through. You've you've been working in front offices for a long time. I think there's this sort of expectation maybe among fans that this is all said and done for NBA teams. Uh, right. By now, they know exactly who they're going to take. Their draft their draft board is all, all finalized and it's sort of just sit back and maybe explore trades and what have you. What does it look like the week of the draft for most of these NBA teams? Yeah, so by this point, the the draft board is usually done. Um, a lot of teams probably had a big old meeting this week where they where they finalize their draft board. Um, the The thing is, though, that there's always last minute information comes up that modifies things. Uh, players are still working out for teams for one. Uh, then you have uh, situations where. You're still getting information maybe on the physical end for some of these guys. And so that can change things. So really right up until draft day, that board still is seeing motion. And it may not be a lot of motion, but it's still definitely happening. And what's happening on a trade front right now? You know, there's there's obviously yeah. there's trades every year. And we always sort of joke, oh, these trade rumors, they're all junk. There's just smoke. There's no fire. But then every draft there's typically quite a bit of fire uh, that actually happens in the draft. What does that sort of look like right now? Is the trade talks, is this, the, is this like starting Monday? Is this when, when teams start to get really serious about those talks? The serious calls probably start on Monday. And really, though, so many teams don't want to make a move until they're on the clock that really Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of draft week is usually mostly information collection. Not always. I mean, we do see some trades happen ahead of time and you'll typically get one or two kind of interesting proposals in that time from, from teams that are okay, just, just making a move ahead of time or doing something maybe tangential to the draft. Like I want this player, I'll, you know, I'll give you a second round pick, that kind of thing. Um, so th th that kind of, that kind of thing does happen, but it's, it's really draft night when most of the trades go down. Cause a lot of teams, you know, you'll talk to a team theoretically about maybe, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll trade you 20 and 14 for nine, you know, <laughs> hypothetically. And, but until they know who they can get by moving up they're they're not going to act on it. So you, you have a lot of 
trade proposals that you know are out there and that you know you're going to circle back to during the during the course of the draft, but you can't really act on them yet. You know, every year the draft is different in that the quality of the draft, uh, both at the top, in the middle, towards the back end of the draft are different, which means there's there's different sorts of values and different sorts of incentives to trade up, to trade down, um, what have you. And I know one of the things that you do every year is, you know, part of it is an analytic formula about sort of ranking players. And then based off that formula, you can sort of tell how players might rank based off of past years. Uh, and and I'm really curious because people have been really excited about this draft. Um, there's so much talk about how strong the draft is, especially at the top of the draft. Let's start there. Um, historically, since you've been sort of looking at drafts and rating drafts, how does the top of this draft compare to, to a typical draft? Well, I, I mean, I don't know if it's super strong at, at number one in particular. Like, I don't know if Cade Cunningham, like, he's a, he's a good number one prospect, but he's not, like, this isn't a LeBron James AD type of draft, right? Spots two through say six, I do think it's a strong draft. I, 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 th- I think that's probably the best part part of this draft that you have a lot of players with all star talent who are, who are going to be available in the top five, and pr- probably more. I mean, certainly than compared to last year, for instance, where th- there were basically I thought two players who were cut above at the top of the draft last year. This year, you really have. Uh, probably a five-player group at, at the top, and so and so that's that's a difference. Um, but then uh, you know it's weird because I think it's a good draft there. I think it's a good draft in the twenties and thirties. I don't know if it's a great draft in the teens. Uh, like I, I do think it kind of craters after about eight or nine, and and you get into a much lesser area of talent. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, as well, we talked about that top five, though, interestingly, I think your top five is a little different than what we sort of see as the more consensus top five coming out, because you have Alpern and Singun, uh in your top yes. five, if I remember right. You have Scotty Barnes uh, in, your, in yes. your top five. And while I think Barnes definitely is in the top five of a lot of NBA teams, he's not in everyone. Uh, Kaminga is not yeah. in your top five. No, and Jalen Green barely no. makes your top five. Uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. He was. I think I had him fifth, right? Yeah, yeah. I, so to make room for Barnes and Shengun, I ended up with uh, Green five and Jalen Suggs six. Wow. Yeah. So um, Jalen Suggs is the guy that 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 falls yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I. You know. I think those six players are are kind of the key six guys in this draft, and then you. You know, you start stair stepping down at at seven, eight, nine when you get into, for me at least, like Kaminga and Franz Wagner and guys like that. And then there's kind of another step down right around ten. Um, you know, Jalen Johnson I think is viewed as more of a dice roll. Uh, Josh Giddy I think is a little more of an unknown. And the, then after Giddy, I, I think you get into some guys who maybe wouldn't go in the 11 to 15 range in a normal draft, but probably will in this one. One of the things that you've consistently talked about and written is that there's essentially 20 players in every draft. 
uh, right? That if you sort of look historically, yeah. there's 20 guys. And, you know, there's always so much interest from fans that are drafting. Their teams are drafting in the late 20s, early 30s. You know, are we going to get a guy um, here? And I think historically the answer is probably not, uh, right? Right. Uh, but you, you mentioned <laughs> that the draft is strong in the 20s and 30s. Does that mean you're a little bit more bullish in this draft that this this draft may go deeper than the than the typical 20 um, that you tend to get in a draft? You know, I, I'm not sure if the hit rate in the 20s and 30s is going to be higher than usual. I just think the, the quality of the hits might be. In other words, that the, the, a couple of these guys who end up going in the 20s and are kind of speculative picks, like, the, you know, these kind of Zaire Williams, Josh Primo types, um, you know, 7 or 8 and 10 will probably bomb, but the ones that will hit can hit at a pretty high level. And so there's a lot of risk reward at that point in the draft, uh, just because there's an unusual number, I think, of of one and duns who are kind of visibly toolsy, but really had poor college track records. And so there's there's just a wide variance outcomes with these guys. That was one of the things that as as I was you know putting together uh, what's what's running on Friday, which is my personal mock draft. What I would do if I was the GM for all 30 of these picks, I, I started to find mm-hmm. that dilemma as we got into the teens and 20s. You know, do you take maybe a more established senior or, you know, junior, or do you take one of these freshmen that at the start of the season uh, were sitting at, you know, lottery picks on my board and say, I'm going to disregard some of what happened in college uh, this freshman year and instead focus on what we saw in high school in part because this was a very unique freshman year uh, as for, for most of these prospects yeah. because of what happened with COVID, what happened the summer before uh, their freshman year, practice time and, and just the ability to be on the court uh, with, with other players was diminished quite a bit. Um, some people like Zaire Williams didn't play a home game all year and was living out of a hotel room uh, all year. You had deaths yeah. in the families uh, of some of these players. You had mental health issues and isolation that was was facing a lot of these um, prospects. And so maybe one of the things that I think is, is so hard, especially with the freshman class this year, is what to what extent did COVID um, affect everything from their conditioning uh, to their ability to integrate to their teams, to their mental health, and may have affected ultimately what we saw on the court. And I know that that's a question a lot of NBA teams are asking. Um, teams have team psychologists often that, that can you know sort of chime in um, on these things. But do you, do you see that as a real factor this year? I, it's a factor and you just it's hard because you don't know how much to weigh this factor. And it's because it's a unique circumstance, right? And I think it's unique with each individual player and program too. Like, you know, the example you use, I think what Stanford faced with Zaire Williams was, was different than maybe even what some other college teams faced uh, just because they were kicked out of their home gym <laughs> for a month or whatever it was. Uh, so I, I think that's, a, you know, another confounding variable uh, that, that makes the job more difficult for teams, especially as you get into these more speculative prospects where you're, you know, it's maybe not a one-to-one translation from what they did in college and they have to get better at some things or do some things differently as pros. And I think that just makes the eval really hard. 
And we, we've, uh, you know, talked, I've talked to some trainers, I've talked to some agents, I've talked to some NBA teams that say, look, it also like affected conditioning, uh, you know, that was out there for some, some guys. It, it's, it's just different what you could do to prepare uh, and maybe why you're starting to see in some workouts. Like we hear every year, oh, the guy gained 20 pounds of muscle or he lost 20 pounds of fat. Um, he learned yeah. to shoot uh, since the college basketball season was over. And, you know, you take all of that with a grain of salt. You're literally going to hear that constantly. But in this particular case, I actually think that it is more likely that you did see some of those outcomes uh, from some of these prospects just because their ability to do some of that stuff was so severely restricted uh, through much of the college basketball season, but then was opened wide up after the season was over. Uh, it's going to be really, re- really one of the difficult things of wrestling here. Uh, you know, I do a tiers column and the tiers, you know, based off of, you know, potential superstars, uh, uh, potential all-stars, potential high-level starter tier three, uh, potential starter slash rotation player tier four, you know, deep rotations, uh, you know, tier five. Who do you have as a tier one um, this year? Like you, you're rating them as they could be, their ceiling is a potential superstar right now. I'm assuming Cade Cunningham is is one of those guys. Or is he not even a tier uh, one guy I'm, for you? I yeah, I don't I don't know. I usually am very conservative with tier one. Uh, when uh, when we did our our draft boards in in Memphis, I I don't know. We 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 saved tier one for you know maybe every couple of years. Well, I didn't <laughs> ha- I didn't so, have a tier one yeah last year. Uh, yeah, and, and probably yeah. fair though. Lamelo's playing like a tier one prospect now. Yeah. But you do, you don't really I, you don't I, even have Kate in tier one this year. No, I no no I don't I don't I don't. It's funny though when it, when you when you said tears for this draft, I thought you were talking about you crying because there's no Kansas players. Well, Quentin Grimes, uh, will will sort of adopt we'll sort of okay. adopt him in uh, this year uh, as as maybe as maybe our Kansas player that gets that gets drafted. Um, okay, so no tier one. Uh, then I'm assuming Cade is a tier two for you. I think I think kind of the next six guys are all tier okay. two for me. So you got I, a big I think tier it's closer two. at the top. Yeah, yeah. I think it's closer at the top than people think. Um, so I would go I would go from probably Cade down to Suggs, uh, who's number six on my board as as a tier two. So I would include uh, Evan Mobley, uh, Alpern Shangun. Uh, Jalen Green and uh, Scotty Barnes in that as well. Okay, so that's your tier two. Then you talked about there's a, a, a the draft drops off a clip. Are, Cliff, are there any tier three guys then for you? Is is uh, is like a Kaminga a tier three guy for you? Yeah, I would say Kaminga, Franz Wagner, um, Jalen Johnson is probably like borderline tier three for me. Um, and then, uh, I'm trying to pull up my Josh draft Giddy, board. Here, I think I like the next, somebody I'm forgetting. Josh Giddy's, I think the next guy on your board after that. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, Giddy's probably like a tier three and a half. Okay. <laughs> 3.5. <laughs> and then we're pretty clearly into, pretty clearly into tier four. Yeah. Tier four. And, and so now you're talking about guys that might be able to start in the NBA, but probably aren't high level starters, you know, slash kind of six, seventh men, um, on teams. And, and so there, there you go. That's where John's sort of talking about the draft starting to crater that maybe you want a few more tier three guys, 
uh, in that in in the back half of the lottery than maybe you're getting here. John's starting at about ten to say we're we're already into tier four, um, but then maybe a, a quite a few tier five guys is what you're saying in the twenties and and thirties uh, guys that could be. Yeah, and some of them, and some of them are again are you know kind of high risk high reward guys, so that you know you're you're putting them in tier five now, but they could end up being starters. Just the the chance that they completely bomb is also pretty high. You know, when you get into like these these JT Thor types, you know, where it's just completely speculative. Ty Jones, you know, frankly, for that matter, mm-hmm. right? Like Kate. Yeah, absolutely. Ty Jones is one of those guys that you could see potentially having a tier one career and potentially falling out of the league in two years uh, yeah, career totally. as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the things that I just actually had a reader suggest is that we do that sort of tier range uh, for every prospect. It's not enough just to place them in the tier, but like, you know, what what are the likelihood of outcomes for players? And I think one of the things that makes Kate Cunningham so attractive is it's hard to see him falling into like tier four, tier five category um, as a prospect. Is his, his floor is just higher than that uh where some players it's just wild and then there's a few players maybe like you know jared butler um who you know maybe his ceiling is tier three and maybe his floor if he stays healthy is tier three uh right like it's just sort of where you know he is and there isn't a lot of range yeah yeah definitely Corey kispert would be another one yeah so some of these upper some of these upperclassmen you're dealing with much probably narrower bands of outcomes uh, than, you know, than, than a lot of these one and dones, but so it's court, sort of the, you know, the dirty Harry question, do you feel lucky? Right. All right. Yeah, that's a, ex- exactly. And I think that's where we're going to get to next, uh, is sort of talk about some of these late risers, many of them freshmen that seem to be moving up draft boards that didn't make your initial top 20. But before we do that, let's talk about rock auto, uh, com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts or their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more the same parts from a chain store or car dealership. They have anything and everything from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com And I'm back with John Hollinger of The Athletic. We've been talking 2021 NBA draft all year. It is crunch time. It is the week of the draft. And every year we have these guys that start to rise late in the draft uh, based off of essentially workouts. Um, right at the at this time, this guy is working out better. This guy's moving up draft boards. Fran Fischel always says, "No, your draft board was just wrong the whole time." 
Uh, that's that. That's just what was going. On. These guys were always high, and, and you're just trying to make yourself look good that your draft board was wrong. And and maybe there's some truth to that. Uh, but it, but it is really interesting in that I talked to a lot of a lot of folks around the league that some of the names that I'm hearing surprise me a little bit just based off of sort of where I've heard their range going all year. And so I'm going to throw some of these out to okay. you, John. Uh, these were all guys that didn't make your top twenty. And okay. just want to sort of get your reaction because a, a, a couple of these that I'm going to talk about at first are getting looks uh, as even potential late lottery picks. Uh, and so okay. uh, they did make your top 20. Let's start with Cam Thomas. He gets an invite to the green room, uh, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, surprises, uh, you know, a lot surprised me, surprised a lot of people. Amazing score. Almost yeah. nothing else that you can point to yeah. on the stat sheet right now. Undersized for his position, not an elite athlete, but can really score the basketball. How comfortable are you uh, hearing Cam Thomas's name in late lottery mid first round? Yeah, I I kind of don't get that one. I mean, I could see more of him as a dice roll in the twenties, maybe. Uh, you know, can he have like a Jordan Clarkson type of career, maybe? Uh, although he's a little smaller even than Clarkson. Uh, he's a bucket getter, uh, really limited in other phases of the game, not that interested in passing, uh, so which <laughs> so, sort, of, sort of limits some of the value of the, of the shot creation. Uh, and, uh, you know, didn't shoot that well from three, but he's a really good foul shooter, so you hope, you hope that'll come around. Uh, just a bad defensive player. Uh, de- definitely needs to get better on that end. And I don't know. I, th- I think for me, he's a guy that I'm much more comfortable with in the 20s and 30s than, than going in that top 20 group. One of the things that seems a little bit, bit odd about him, too, is he's been given the green light his whole life. LSU let him take any shot that he wanted mm-hmm. to take. Almost sort of reminds me in a weird way of Jimmer Fredette. Um, you know, that way at, at, yeah. at BYU. Jimmer Fredette had the ultimate green light. Um, his coach defended his lack of defense by saying, I didn't want him to play defense because I just wanted him to use all of his energy to score and have the rest of the team play that. Jimmer Fredette ends up going in the lottery uh, and, you know, sort of a very similar, like not like a super great athlete, a bit undersized for his position uh, and just craters out of the league quickly. Now, Jimmer Fredette was quite a bit older. He was 22, uh, yeah. I believe, when he was drafted. But, you know, some similarities there. Maybe Buddy Heald, a, another sort of similarity in, in a sort of microwave score, uh, but, you know, didn't necessarily bring a lot else to the table. Now, Buddy Heald, we found out after the draft, was actually a year older than we thought he was, um, you know, at 23 mm-hmm. years old. So there's a definite difference here with Cameron Thomas being, you know, 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, any of those comps sort of sound sound right to you? Uh, you know, it's a little weird because those, those are much older players. Um, like, you know, the scoring rate, you compare that with like almost Anthony Edwards a year ago where he's just getting so many buckets. Um, but again, he's just bringing absolutely nothing else to the table and just doesn't have the same physical gifts that Edwards did. Let's talk about Zaire Williams, the other guy that got the invite to the green room, a guy that started the season in my top 10 had just by I think all accounts an absolutely disastrous season at Stanford. There's just not a lot that you can really say good about how Zaire Williams looked, but he was one of the highest rated high school players in the country uh, coming out. If you go and watch that that high school film, there's a lot there to like uh, about Zaire Williams. 
he seems to, again, have gotten in great shape. He seems to be shooting the ball. He seems to be more aggressive. He's put on some weight. I think 13 pounds is, is what I heard from you know one NBA team, which which matters. Uh, but you have the 6'10", ball handling, you know, pretty athletic guard uh, that had a really terrible season, had a knee brace on for part of the season, like we said, was playing uh, out of a hotel room, no home games, had deaths in the family with COVID. Uh, you know, when you when you do the sort of risk reward assessment with with Zaire Williams, I, I know I think he ended up at like you know twenty nine or thirty, you know something like that on your board. Yeah, yeah, yep, I had him thirtieth. But teams are thinking about him back now in the lottery. Uh, I think it mm-hmm. starts about Orlando at eight. Um, he's working out for those lottery teams uh, in that sort of range. I know in talking to them that he is in consideration there. I'm not saying he's the favorite or likely to go there, but there's enough intrigue that he's in consideration there. How do you feel about Zaire Williams as a late lottery pick or mid first round prospect? Again, probably not great at that level. I mean, there were because there were some things on his tape from Stanford that I think. Um, that are maybe a little harder to make excuses for just in terms of like the inability to get by people. And just the fact that you just didn't feel that athleticism at any point during the course of the game. When, when you watched his games, um, he can handle the ball a little bit, has some decent footwork getting to step backs. I thought, um, although not a great shooter overall. Um, but just, yeah, it just didn't really make much of an impact, honestly, in, in the games he played this year. So, again, I, I think he's much more of a speculative pick, and, and I understand the the extenuating circumstances on his season were even more extenuating than, than on a lot of other uh, players this year. Uh, but even giving him the benefit of the doubt on that, I mean, his numbers were worse than anybody's. So... Uh, you know, weighing it overall to me, he's, he's kind of a late first round flyer. Maybe the one, the only freshman that I could point to that sort of had these numbers and maybe was similar though. They, they went much, much higher in the draft was Jalen Brown, um, out of Cal who, you know, came in highly touted, really struggled as a freshman. Um, I still, still think, I think he went third. Uh, in in the draft, yeah. uh, but you know, analytically, I think everyone was like, "How in how in the world is he?" You know, a, a third pick in the draft, and 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 figured it out. Uh, but that's sort of the only one that I could, uh, you know, I could point to that that looked that bad uh, as a freshman um, that ended up turning into something. So you know, whether and they're they're very different players, uh, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I do think six ten ball handling guard. That probably can, you know, that probably is going to end up being an okay shooter in the league, and maybe will be more athletic than what we saw in Stanford, where he had that leg brace on, and I think was, you know, just frankly from what I'm hearing, just a little bit worried about re-injuring that and and you know causing problems, mm-hmm. which you know causes you to be more cautious. Um, whether there's something there, I've I've actually to be honest, John, you're going to be very disappointed in me. I'm falling in love with Zaire Williams when I started watching the high okay. school stuff. And I'm like, you know, we're talking about wings that are intelligent and can be ball handlers and shoot. And he's 6'10". Or he measured 6'9 and three quarters. Uh, you know, I think in, in shoes at the, the combine, uh, he intrigues me a little bit. Dayron Sharp. Every team that I've talked to has said two things about Dayron Sharp. One, he looks like he's in the best shape, uh, you know, of his career. Uh, it, he got a little bit heavy again, you know, because of COVID mm-hmm. and some things like that, but he's slimmed down. He's moving really well. 
and that he is shooting the lights out in workouts, which we didn't see at all at North Carolina. He took two threes, I think, right. the entire um, season. It was not how Roy Williams was going to play him or, or use him mm-hmm. uh, at North Carolina. You see any justification at all that, that Dayron Sharp should be look, getting those sort of looks in the late lottery to mid first round? Uh, he is an intriguing passer uh, for, for a big yeah. round. Yeah, you know, you you do like that about him, but I, you know, I'm not big on drafting fives in general. And then I, I just don't know what's special about him that you're going to make the exception. Um, like I, you know, you 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 go through, you go through his tape. Like he he didn't do a great job defending on the perimeter last year. He was he was good in the paint, but he w- I wouldn't say he was dominant. Like he wasn't a great finisher around the basket. Uh, so at the end of the day, what do you get? You like, you're, you're probably getting a backup five and, and I, I just don't know that you need to draft that. Um, it is interesting with him because, uh, it seems like nobody can get him in for a workout and that he might have a promise somewhere and he might've had a promise from a while ago. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens there. Uh, yeah, re- really interesting. Again, another young player, uh, we've now talked about, you know, three freshmen, Let's talk about two more freshmen, JT Thor, who I think really caught everybody a bit by surprise because I think the expectation was, oh, he's going back, uh, you know, to Auburn. Uh, Then all of a sudden, sort of around the combine, JT Thor uh, mania hits. He doesn't actually play in the combine. uh, And it's not like his athletic numbers were like through the roof or anything like he, you know, blew it away with a, you know, vertical jump or whatever. I'm not actually sure what, sparked the JT Thor uh, mania. I heard his interviews were just sort of okay, uh, you know, when I was talking mm-hmm. to teams. But JT Thor is now being talked about, not as a not as a lottery pick, but starting sort of in the teens to early 20s now. Uh, how do you feel about that one? Again, he's another guy that I'm much more comfortable in that 25 to 35 range where I'm, I'm really uh, throwing darts a little more. Uh, has size, although a very skinny body has shown some ability to score and shoot. Uh, you know, so there are some tools there, but again, he was another guy, like I, I agree with you. He's a guy that I circled like, Oh, this will be really interesting to watch this guy next year. And, you know, see if he can be a top 20 guy his sophomore year. Cause he did seem more like a developmental guy, even though he showed flashes at Auburn this year. And so to, I don't know. To take that guy in the top twenty, like you know, you're getting a zero from him this year. Certainly, like he's got to go to the G League, and it just seems so much more speculative to me than than something you would you would take in the top twenty. Is there any rationale that look he's probably a lottery pick next year if he goes to Auburn? So so I'm getting I'm getting value by drafting a guy a year early just sort of based off of how you're projecting him and probably what we saw, sort of thought coming back. I thought JT Thor, if I was putting together my 2022 big board, would probably you know slot somewhere in in the late lottery after you know some of the freshmen and some of the international players sort of come off the board as far as the co- kind of returning college basketball players. So is there any sort of mindset yeah. that says, like, we're, we're just kind of jumping the gun, it's fine to wait a year, We'll let him develop in the G League, which you know, frankly, is a, a perfectly acceptable way uh, for a college for a, for a player to develop, uh, and and we'll we'll end up getting a lottery pick out of a pick that's in the twenties. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing with that is that projection sort of priced in improvement that may or may not happen this coming year. So I, I, you know, I mean, you go back and look at what your board was at the beginning of the year and where it is now. I mean, usually the top four or five guys, it pretty much holds and then it changes it a does. lot after that. It right? does. Yeah. So, Brandon Boston was in that. It was in that lottery. Uh, Zaire Williams was in that lottery. J- Josh Christopher uh, you know, was there. And so, yeah, it, it definitely changes. Um, so, so, so I don't know if I put too much stock in that. And then in the meantime, you know, obviously you're, you're taking up a roster spot and paying the guy $2 million or whatever. So it's not, it's not free. Uh, and, and you have to think about that too, as you construct your team. Let's talk about another player that's almost in exactly the same scenario. Again, I think a surprise decides to stay. Hasn't, has it like, an okay uh, combine. I think you mocked it a little bit. Josh Primo out of Alabama, uh, who's one of the youngest players in this draft. And I think, again, the expectation was, you know, given the role that he played at Alabama last year, you know, he's going to come back and maybe this will kind of be his team as a sophomore. He's in the draft right now. Again, teams are looking at these sort of long three and D, you know, type wings and, and, and he's very young and he's very thin and his body hasn't filled out or matured yet. Uh, and he shot it. Okay. Uh, at, at Alabama, any, any reason that Josh Primo should be in that consideration in the late teens or early twenties? Yeah, I was, I was surprised he got as much traction as he did you know, off a one combine game where he had, I think like seven points and one rebound or something. Three for eight from the field. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, wait, where, where are we setting the bar here? Pretty low, but it is pretty low at the combine. His age is definitely a factor in his favor. uh, And we tend to underestimate that. I think when we do the draft. So I, I think that does make him interesting, but you know, he was the kind of the fifth guy at Alabama. Um, and just didn't have a bit major offensive role, uh, shot okay. But I mean, you'd watch Alabama and you go long stretches and kind of forget he was on the floor. He didn't like, he didn't do wow stuff athletically or anything. Uh, good size for a two, three. I think he measured six, six, right. Um, I just, I just don't know that there's that much there, there at the end of the day. So I, Again, like he's another guy that's to me just a very speculative selection. I think I ended up with him forty second, so I I guess I need a little more convincing. I think one of the the themes that I'm hearing from from John on all these guys is he's not comfortable taking the speculative picks as late lottery to mid first round picks. Like you're you're much more yeah. more comfortable starting to speculate, especially on these young guys, as you get into the late first round to early second round, that seems to be where your comfort level sits with those types of players. Well, especially when you're not talking about crazy upside. I mean, I had, you know, I had Poku in my top 15 last year because I just thought the ceiling outcomes were high enough to justify throwing the dart. But I, like, I don't see that with these guys, I guess. I think it's, you know, the, the, the range of outcomes, I think, is, is more capped on the high side. So let's go to what was the biggest red flag for me of the draft. How in the world is a Virginia player uh, miss John Hollinger's draft board, but then, but then starts showing up again in the, in the mid teens uh, and people talking about Trey Murphy 
uh, being drafted, you know, in the teens. And I'm like, this, this can't be right. I know John watches yeah. like literally every minute of a Virginia game. I don't think he came <laughs> up once in a conversation on a podcast yeah. that we talked about all year until like he starts to again, sort of get that buzz around the draft combine. Uh, and, and so I'm just going to let you take it from there because my guess is there isn't any guess that I could have on that has watched more Trey Murphy than you've watched Trey Murphy. <laughs> the fact that you didn't have him in your top 30 is a, is a massive red flag to me. That's like me not having a Kansas player in the top 30 yeah, and yeah, then everybody's exactly. saying, hey, Chad, exactly. this Kansas guy is going to be a potential lottery yeah. pick. Yeah, although I, I guess I was too high on Devin Dotson last year, so you you had him pegged correctly. Um, so Trey Murphy, uh, the big thing that stands out to me is like Virginia was so desperate for shot creation last year that li- literally anyone who could do anything off the dribble was going to get an opportunity to do that. And like Trey Murphy couldn't do it. Um, so you, you're you're talking about you're talking about a low usage uh, shooter and he can shoot and he has size, but I guess I, I question how much overall imp- offensive impact he's going to be able to deliver when he's, he's just giving you nothing off the dribble. Surely he's not posting up or anything. It's like uh, 206 good pounds, at, I think is what he weighed yeah, in at, at, yeah, exactly. at, at Chicago. Uh pretty good athlete so he might be able to get a little more in transition you know virginia never runs so you you wouldn't really know that from watching from watching us play um and now the the thing i think teams like about him his defensive tape was good uh he can slide his feet he can stay in front of people i think he has to play three because he's so thin he doesn't give you anything on the glass uh but i think he can slide his feet and stay in front of threes and so I think for that reason, you're looking at like a three and D package with him. And I, I just think that's, that's all you're getting. Like that's, that's, it might be his floor and his ceiling at the same time. And so like, do do you need to draft that? Like, I don't know. Can you, can you sign that for $3 million and, and draft something else? Uh, so I, I think that's where my, my questions come in. Like, I, I do think he's probably going to have a career uh, just just based off the, the shooting and the ability to, to slide his feet. I just don't think there's a whole lot else there. It's uh, damning words uh, from John Hollinger just based off probably wanting to see more Virginia players uh, succeed in the league. Um, though, you know, 3 and D is the invoke thing. And one thing that you can say about you know, a number of these prospects that that we've been talking about is that's how they're projecting. Um, whether there actually is a yeah. three to their game or in some cases, whether there's actually any D to their game. A, a D to their, their game, yeah, know, yeah Fair exactly. enough, but, you know, teams are looking for wings. Uh, John's made this point, you know, throughout the draft that this is the most valuable position uh, right now to draft. And so maybe that's, uh, that's why Trey Murphy, I, I absolutely think that's why Trey Murphy is rising um, right now is that yeah. that's what they're seeing. And there's just the, there's only so many of those types of prospects in this draft and at least a little bit more proven track record with Trey, Trey Murphy there. All right. One last guy uh, that we'll talk about in the rising Vrins blind Blindberg uh, out of Belgium. There's always an international man of mystery seven footer, pretty good ball handler. Like he claims he's a guard, uh, you know, shot it. Okay. 
Um, you know, intriguing skill set for a seven footer, uh, skinny, gets pushed around in the Belgium league, which isn't necessarily, uh, you know, what you want to hear. Uh, this isn't a particularly yeah. high level, high level European league compared to, you know, we're not talking about the Spanish ACB or the Turkish league here. Uh, but yeah. again, people trying to find seven footers that are skilled, uh, and are, and are decent athletes and can do some stuff. Uh, any justification that he sneaks into the first round? Boy, I think that's a serious reach. I mean, the Belgian league isn't good, and he wasn't notably good in that league, right? Like, it's not like, oh, it's a bad league, but he dominated, <laughs> you know, so maybe we can we can justify this a little more. It's like he's a not particularly good player in a not particularly good league. Uh, I, you remember Uro Slokar? I do actually like, remember him. That's sad that I do. Like but. One of, to me, it's like one of those deals. Like European guy shows up and does some stuff in workouts and all of a sudden everyone's talking about him. And it's like, did you see this guy played his games? Like there's uh, Nicholas Skittishvili is, is, is the yeah, first, would be the first guy one. that, that yeah. really burned me, uh, you know, on that end. Uh, and uh, as a young reporter, I wish I would have pushed Mike D'Antoni, who was his coach back in Italy, more about if this guy is so great, why don't you play him like ever? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. In, yeah. in games, uh, <laughs> if he's his, if you're saying he should be a top five pick in the NBA draft. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, some of that's Europe, but, you know, probably not Belgium League. Uh, you know, a little, yeah. little, little bit different when you're playing for, you know, in Treviso and on Benetton. Yeah, I, I think he's he's much more of a stash pick to me. I, I I I just can't see justifying taking him in the in the first round. Actually, I'm bummed out. The the guy I did like from overseas, Rocco Perkison, pulled his name out. Unfortunately, there John just pours cold water over all the hot draft <laughs> prospects that are rising up boards. I kind of expected that that's what's going to be, but I but I love having this voice on the podcast, right? Because there just starts to be this growing narrative about some of these mm -hmm. guys and and I can I can follow into it too. I you know, like for Zaire Williams for me, where I can start to talk myself into guys. I, I like the consistency and the, the 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 push that, you know, no, let's not get irrational uh, about some of these prospects yeah. we get close to the draft. And and you can sort of understand why why it happens. So we'll talk next about guys, the other sort of irrationality, which is the sort of love affair um, that has come in this draft towards those 22-year-old and older prospects um, getting some love mm -hmm. in the lottery. Um, but first, let's talk about Built Bar. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor? When you talk to Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. There's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. So there's something for everyone. My personal favorite is coconut. I'm a Mounds Bar guy. It tastes like a Mounds Bar. These things are chewy. They're they're moist. They're not uh, the sort of dry, chalky uh, protein bar that you typically think about. If you're an Almond Joy fan, then there's coconut almond there for you. And if you're not sure what you like, there are mixed boxes where you can get two of each flavor. The big thing about Built Bar, though, is that they're healthy. They have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs. So order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCK15. You'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. 
And I'm back now with John Hollinger of The Athletic. Uh, John, appreciate your constant voice on these podcasts. Always always a unique take on things. And I know you take flack from that because I don't think you care very much about the consensus, but I, I, I think that your experience, uh, both working in front offices and your approach uh, to the draft, you have a system and an approach to it, uh, I, I think really matters. I think for many people out there, they're spitballing this. Uh, you know, who do you mm-hmm. like to stay? And I, and I really like this sort of disciplined approach. So I'm going to go back to, I think maybe something that you personally may have introduced to the draft world, or at least to the fans of the draft world way back in ESPN, is that age matters in the draft. It matters yes. on the young end. It matters on the old end. And, and you know, I segue every year to Dick Vitale on the ESPN podcast, losing it uh, because the college basketball player of the year, the, you know, the decorated senior is sliding on draft boards uh, every year. And, you know, PTP or, you know, this, this, this person's proven, they've won at every level. How can NBA teams yeah. be passing on them? And, and this mm-hmm. is based off a, an analytics take that essentially says that at, at a certain age, age becomes a detriment. Um, against you. And, you know, I just recently went back and looked at uh, 22-year-old players and older um, that had been drafted mm-hmm. in the last decade. And as mm-hmm. you can probably imagine, because you've, um, you know, you've certainly sort of made this point before, it's not, it's not great. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. it, it really isn't. Um, so here's the list in the last decade, okay. 22 and over lottery picks. Jimmer Fredette, okay. Kelly Olenek, Oof. Doug McDermott, okay. Willie Cauley-Stein, okay. Torian Prince, Ooh. Denzel Valentine, Frank Kaminsky, Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald, and Obi Toppin. And now we're talking about three prospects that are getting lottery love here. Uh, uh, Davian Mitchell uh, out of Baylor, Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga, uh, and Chris Duarte out of Oregon. And interestingly, Duarte's older than all of those guys uh, yeah. uh, on draft night. He's already 24 years old. And Davian Mitchell is older than everyone other than Chris Dunn, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, before they were drafted. Maybe Cam Thomas actually as well. I think Cam Thomas ended up being 23 uh, on draft night um, a- as well. And of that group, you know, who do you want to, you know, fight? Um you know, Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News got all over me on on Twitter about this for, you know, again, sort of shaming seniors and like Cam Johnson, um, mm-hmm. who's been pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. In, in a kind of a bad draft. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, I still think you want a little more upside than that when when you're picking in the lottery. Um, I mean, that pick has worked out, so, so props to the Suns. Um, I, I would say, I mean, Kispert is probably the guy I would fight for the most just because I think he has, he had the arguably the better college season of, of the three. I think what he does translates the most. Um, I think like he's not just a good shooter. I think he's really underrated attacking closeouts, putting the ball on the floor getting the getting out in transition and scoring that way um t- to me like he reminds me so much of joe harris just in terms of the fact that he's not just shooting but he's also able 
to get basket attacks out of it and finish at a high level because he's a big, strong guy. Um, and you know, so when he gets when he gets to the cup, he can he can get there and do something. And so I I think there's some good potential there for him to be kind of a plus version of Doug McDermott. I, you know, the, the irony is like he could very easily end up replacing Doug McDermott, right? If he goes to the Pacers um, and, and just plug right into that role. Um, so I, I, I like Kispert once you get out of the top. I 10. think you had him at 12 right uh, on your board. I have him 12. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Which is a surprise because typically we don't see 22 year olds, uh, you know, making, making yeah. the John Hollinger lottery. Uh, for, for, for this reason. Yeah. And and frankly, not just yeah. that, that I just gave you the entire list. I wasn't cherry picking. I gave you the entire list over the last decade. And so this is something that wow. generally NBA teams agree. It's actually a fairly small sample size um, when you think there's 14 mm-hmm. picks in the lottery. And I just went over uh, a decade. So, you know, there's 140 picks. And I think I just listed out like eight names. Uh, right. So uh, yeah. it is a bit of a small sample size. Kispert, shocks shockingly sort of makes that for you um davian mitchell probably is the guy that gets talked about the most of maybe going as high as seven uh to the warriors yeah. though it it does seem to me f- pretty fair that if the warriors do pass on him at seven you know then maybe new orleans is the next shot at 10 and then it probably gets to indiana at 13 so he quickly starts moving to the bottom uh, of the lottery pretty quick if just one or two teams sort of pass on him and so you know where yeah. where his draft range actually is i'm not actually sure 7 is is really fair there's one very unique situation yeah. with golden state um so you had him i think 16th uh on yes. on on the board yeah. uh and so just sort yeah. of right outside the lottery uh, and is is age the primary thing here that that sinks him uh, out of the lottery in your in your mind? I think age sinks him, and I I'm still worried about his offense. Um, you know, he shot the ball well this year. He had not at any other point in his career. He's still not a good foul shooter, uh, and he's pretty small. So I I kind of worry about what he's going to be able to do offensively. I don't worry about him on defense. I mean, I. You know, his ball pressure is insane, uh, competes really hard, gets a ton of steals. So I don't worry about him on that end. But offensively, I just wonder where his contribution is going to be. And then the big surprise, Chris Duarte, who's not just like old, but old, old, like like historic <laughs> old for a player getting drafted, not just like potentially in the lottery, but in the first round. At 24 years old, I was shocked when he showed up in an early draft column for you. And then again, uh, at 19, I believe, uh, on on your board, just given that now we're talking about someone who's like two years older than Corey Kispert uh, in this draft and five years older than some other prospects, just one year, one year younger than Cam Johnson uh, right now. Yeah. You've got to be pretty good, my guess is, to be able to to crack John Hollinger 20 and be 24 years old. Yeah, I mean, his statistical output, it was the same thing last year, where his statistical output was so good that you looked at him and you, and you said, okay, if it weren't for his age, you know, you definitely have to put him in the, in the lottery and, and, you know, maybe even pretty high in the lottery. Like, he was definitely, if he wasn't the best wing in college basketball last year, he was definitely on the short list. 
uh, and he can just do so many things that translate immediately to the NBA. So you give up upside with him, but I do think he is as plug and play as it gets in this draft. Like I'd be surprised if he isn't able to play immediately. And frankly, he'd be a disappointment if he isn't able to play immediately at his age uh, because he can shoot, he can do stuff with the ball. He's a pretty good defender, reads the game pretty well. Like he just checks every box for an NBA wing. He, except he's not a great athlete and he doesn't have length, right? I mean, those are, those are two things that typically we want out of wings as well. And, and he, he's, he does, he's got a sort of just a sort of well, what I think a six seven wingspan at six six, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he's not by any stretch of the imagination a plus athlete. Does that concern you at all? Because those are those are two things typically that factor in as well when we're thinking about especially yeah. NBA wings. Yeah, I mean it, it would worry me a little bit, but he's able to like the fact that he's able to be such an effective player. I think kind of out outweighs that. Uh, you know, I'll go back to another Oregon prospect, Chad, uh, who who did not measure very long. Uh, you you might have heard me mention this guy, Dylan Brooks, uh, once or twice. This is your Dylan Brooks, so, isn't it? Just just admit it. This is your <laughs> Dylan Brooks guy. If you were in the Grizzlies front office right now, you'd be beating your chest right now. We're going to do Dylan Brooks 2.0. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I, think, I think Duarte is a good chance to make it. I think it just depends on the team, too, you know. For a team like the Lakers, I think he'd be, who are drafting 22, I think, or whatever. Uh, Knicks um, looking at 19. I think he, uh, 21. Yeah, Warriors looking at 14. Now team, yeah, a win-now team he makes a lot more sense for. So it's going to be a little bit dependent on the team picking. Let, let me ask you just one last question about that then. Because that is the thinking with all three of these. It's a te- It's going to be a team like the Warriors, maybe a team like the Pacers, who have Rick Carlisle, who historically is a little bit you know, doesn't like playing rookies, wants to win now. Uh, and then you start getting into, you know, the Grizzlies, uh, the Wizards, the Knicks, uh, you know, uh, the Hawks, you know, teams that 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 absolutely have deep playoff aspirations right now. But it also seems to be true, and I think you've made this point before, that rookies just generally are bad, period. Um, that that, that yeah. the transition to the NBA, whether you're 18 or 20, 22 or 23, is such that, you know, typically they don't even sort of work out to be replacement level players, uh, at least their first year in the NBA. That, that there's, there's a transition that just means that counting on rookies to help you uh, is probably not mm-hmm. the wisest one, especially teams in the playoffs uh, that, you know, as you start to get deeper and, and into the playoffs that you, you want guys that can really help you right now. So is this a waste of a pick for a team like Golden State who might draft the guy because he can theoretically help me more than an 18-year-old, but then the truth is that they're a below-level replacement player anyway, uh, you know, because they're making that transition to the NBA and so they don't really help me anyway. And so it's a double loss. I miss out on the upside of a young player right. to draft a guy who can help me now, but then history sorts of sort of tells us that rookies don't really help you win basketball games uh, in, in you know in their first year. Or is is that a misunderstanding of of what typically happens with rookies? Well, I mean, the other thing that history tells you is the the rookies that that do help do tend to be the upperclassmen. You know, if you look at last year, for instance, like. Uh, Xavier Tillman, Desmond or, Bain. you know, Desmond Bain, Emmanuel Quickly, who was a sophomore, at least. I mean, the, those were the guys who were kind of making 
plus contributions toward winning almost right out of the shoot. So I, I do think there's a case to be made here that that Duarte certainly could be that kind of guy. Would you be comfortable if the Warriors take him at 14 or the Pacers take him at 13? Is 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 are are you comfortable I think that, there? That feels that feels reachy to me. I, to, to me, like he makes a ton of sense for the Laker pick at, at tw- is 24. I think I said 22 before. I think they're t- it is 22. Okay. So like the Lakers pick is, is more to me where he starts making a ton of sense. Golden State, if, to me, if Golden State, if you're going to take him at 14, trade down and, and, you know, take him at 18 or whatever, at least. You well, know? I don't know. The, but, the buzz is there for Duarte. I, I, I don't, I, okay. I, I really think he's legitimately in probably the 13 to 19 range. Um, right now, based off wow. of what I can get, and and you know that that's just the buzz. But again, he had a really awesome junior and senior season at Oregon, and I, I think teams are exactly seeing what John see, sees a guy that can come in and be a three and D wing like day one, and and that's attractive for some teams. Well, my last question to you was going to be, who is the Dylan Brooks of this draft? But I think <laughs> we answered it already. Uh, it's Chris well, Duarte. No, no, no. I, 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 the guy I really got to carry the flag for is uh, Miles McBride from West okay. Virginia. I think he's been undervalued this whole process. I really like him. I, I, I think he's going to be able to uh, play somewhat right away and then potentially be a starter, um, whether at one or two. Um, and I, you know, I have him in my top 20. I still wonder if I rated him too low. Uh, competitor, long arms, can shoot it. Uh, I just think there's a lot to like there. All right. So when Miles McBride wins MVP of the G League next year, uh, (laughs) John Hollinger (laughs) is going to take his Paul Reed uh, victory lap. I guess I should ask you, who's your Paul Reed in this draft? Uh, And maybe it's asking the same question, but I... My Paul Paul Reed is probably more uh, Nemius Keita from Utah State, who I have in the 20s and I don't think anyone else has in their top 45. So that's the one where I'm really on an island. Uh, with with a big guy, but I, I think there's a lot to like with him. I'm really interested to see where he ends up. I, I will point out at this point in the podcast that I did not pay John Hollinger to say Nemius Keita because now I'm going to be able to hashtag Nemius Keita in this, and this video is going to blow up in Portugal, uh, where his fan base <laughs> is is absolutely insane. Uh, just love how the Portuguese come out for Nemius Keita. It's it's really truly something to behold. Every time I mention him mm-hmm. uh, in a column or Twitter, um, sort of the excitement that comes. So there's Nemius Keita, the Paul Reed uh, of the 2021 mm-hmm. NBA draft. He's John Hollinger. Uh, for the first time, we're seeing each, uh, each other's faces. We hope that our bald heads and the glow off of them uh, didn't <laughs> blind you uh, in this podcast. Uh, we've tried to be merciful in the past and just do audio, uh, but it's great to see your face, John. I really appreciate everything that you've done to contribute uh, to our knowledge in the 2021 draft, especially on this podcast. And I'm sure we'll be talking about you know 2022 draft uh, pretty soon. Absolutely. And thanks for having me on the show, Chad. All right. Well, there's you've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. You've been watching it on YouTube. Keep coming back and a podcast every day this week. And then the live broadcast live broadcast of the 2021 NBA draft happening on the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Aloha. Aloha.